0: Once again, welcome everyone. Welcome to all of you in the overflow this morning. God bless you all. God bless those of you leading in the overflow. God bless those of you at the Franklin campus. Pastor Eric, we love you. We're praying for you every single day and delighted to be partners in ministry with you. Open your Bibles this morning, all of you, to Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10, we're going to begin in verse 17 in a story that's familiar to most all of us. The story of the rich man, it says in the New Living Translation, which I'm using. Uh, Yours may say the rich young ruler. This story appears in Matthew's gospel, Mark's gospel, also Luke's gospel. It's an important encounter of a man who comes to Jesus one day kid from Edmondson County was uh, working construction. He was a kid. He was straight out of high school. It was kind of his first job. The construction job was out of town, and he was asked to travel, which honestly was, was appealing to this young man. He decided it would be a lot of fun. He never really stayed in a, in a motel before like that, but he was going to spend the whole summer living in a motel and working the construction job in Lexington, kid from Edmondson County. His boss told him that he had this much money, he would provide this much money for his food and his lodging, and so if he could make it on that, he he could have the money. If he could do it cheaper, he could still have the money. So the kid realized that the cheaper I can live, the cheaper I can eat, the more money I'll have to to, to save, the more money I'll have. So he decided he was going to make that summer just the leanest, cheapest summer he could possibly, possibly swing. He went into that really nice motel in Lexington the first night for the summer, and he noticed this little bitty mini fridge. Have y'all seen those before, little mini fridge in the motel? He opened the mini fridge, and he looked, and it was full of food, and it dawned on him, if I can just eat out of this fridge all summer long, if I can just manage to eat everything only in this fridge, then I can probably save a lot of money. So that night, he really didn't know how it would work. He didn't know if, he just didn't know. So that night, all he took was one soft drink. He took a Diet Coke and a Mars bar out of that little mini fridge. That's all he took. The next day, though, after the maids had come in, he realized that it was restocked. That Diet Coke was back in the fridge. The Mars bar was back. He thought, this is beautiful. This is wonderful. And so he started eating out of the mini fridge, and he did it all summer long. Do y'all know where this story goes? He started eating sort of everything out of the mini-fridge. And magically, the next day, it would all appear. He would drink all of the soft drinks. He got to where he would eat those little meats and crackers. eat all the Mars bars. He would clean the thing out nearly every single night. Now, it's all he was eating. Pretty much all he would eat was out of the mini-fridge. At the end of three months, you just guess how much it cost him. He had no idea. But when he was checking out for the last time, his food bill was over a thousand dollars, over a thousand dollars. It's called a price tag moment. I don't know if you've ever had one, but we have those in our culture. It's a price tag moment. It's when you realize that that what you've been enjoying or what you think you want, you don't necessarily want like you think you wanted it when you finally realize what it costs. It's a price tag moment. You're at the mall and you pick up a dress and you look at it and think, this dress is beautiful. You look at the price tag and think, I can live without that dress. It's a price tag moment. I want you to see in the story we read today in the Gospel of Mark, there is a young man who has a price tag moment when it comes to following Jesus. A price tag moment. He thinks he wants to be a follower of Christ until he realizes what it will cost him. A a, a price tag moment. Look with me to Scripture, Mark chapter 10, verse 17. As Jesus was starting out on his way to Jerusalem, a man came running up to him, knelt down and asked, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus asked. Only God is truly good. But to answer your question, you know the commandments. You must not murder. You must not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. You must not cheat anyone. Honor your father and mother. Okay, stop right there. I'm going to give you some homework, I'm not going to talk about it in this sermon, but you'll notice there, Jesus sort of goes over the Ten Commandments, but not all of them. He just sort of hits a few of them. Remember, the guy says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And then Jesus starts going over the Ten Commandments, but not all of them. Your job this week, dig into the scripture, go back to Deuteronomy, find the Ten Commandments, and pay attention to the commandments Jesus doesn't mention here pay attention to the commandments Jesus does not mention here because the ones Jesus chooses not to mention might be the ones this man most needs to hear that's your homework okay let's go on verse 20 teacher the man replied I've obeyed all these commandments since I was young looking at the man Jesus felt genuine love for him There's still one thing you haven't done, Jesus told him. Go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. At this the man's face fell, and he went away sad, for he had many possessions. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. This amazed them, but Jesus said again, dear children, it is very hard to enter the kingdom of God. In fact, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were astounded. Then who in the world can be saved, they asked. Jesus looked at them intently and said, humanly speaking, it is impossible, but not with God. Everything is possible with God. Then Peter began to speak up. We've given up everything to follow you, he said. Yes, Jesus replied, and I assure you that everyone who has given up house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or property for my sake and for the good news will receive now in return a hundred times as many houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and property along with persecution." And in the world to come, that person will have eternal life. But many who are the greatest now will be least important then. And those who seem least important now will be the greatest then. Let's stop there. So, a man in England by the name of Gordon Stewart, he was a 74 year old retired cabinet maker. Everybody would say he was an ordinary guy. Gordon would come and go from his house every day. The neighbors would wave, and Gordon would wave right back, just as plain a guy as you could ever imagine and a nice guy. What nobody knew about Mr. Stewart was that he suffered from a, a disorder, a mental illness, and it's called obsessive-compulsive disorder. But Mr. Stewart's particular brand of obsessive-compulsive disorder was that he was a compulsive hoarder hoarder you you hear the word I'm saying he was a hoarder what does that mean a hoarder he saved everything he couldn't throw anything away and and it really is a disorder it's a sickness nobody knew that Gordon Stewart had this disorder because nobody ever went into his house Mr. Stewart would come and go himself and people would wave and and talk to him and say hello but nobody ever went into his house Until a while back, the neighbors stopped seeing Gordon Stewart coming and going from his house, and they became concerned for him. They noticed that his pattern had changed, and they had not seen him come out of his house in days, so they called the police. The police went to the door, and they, and they burst the door open, and when they opened the door, the, the stench poured out. there's was a horrible stench in the house. They ended up getting police in diving suits, diving gear, so that they could have breathing apparatuses to go into the house. You'll never believe what they found in that house. Tunnels. Tunnels. Gordon Stewart couldn't throw anything away. This was in the news, folks. This is true. He couldn't throw anything away. And his house had come to the point where he navigated his way through this uh, maze of tunnels. It, It was tunnels. He had what we would all call trash, garbage, things that should have been thrown out over the years. He never threw anything away to the point where it piled up. It piled up so high that it piled over his head. And Gordon Stewart lived in tunnels like a human mole. In his own house. The police say from the best they can discern, Gordon Stewart died of dehydration. Gordon Stewart got lost in his own house. He got lost and disoriented in those tunnels through the junk in his house And he could not find his way out, could not find his way to water, and he died of dehydration. The smell pouring out of his house was the smell of his garbage and the smell of his rotting, decomposing corpse. He died lost in his own house. You hear that story and you think, what kind of sick, twisted freak would live that way? What kind of person would just continue to bring stuff into the house and never throw anything away? What kind of sick, twisted person could possibly live in garbage like that, tunneling their way through like some sort of rat, like some kind of mole? Who could live that way? That's a sickness. And it is a sickness. We all can recognize that. That is a sickness. Anybody who would be so compulsive as to only accumulate and not be able to get rid of things. Anybody who's so very compulsive, so very afraid to throw anything out. And you know how that works. Uh, The compulsion for him is a compulsiveness toward perfectionism. He wanted to be perfect. He was so afraid of making a mistake. He was afraid that if he got rid of it, he'd want it one day. He was afraid to throw it away. He might need that one day. It's a it's a sickness. At the very same time, let's be honest, we're a lot more like Gordon Stewart than we would ever, ever admit. His sickness is really the sickness of our whole society. There's something about us that looks a lot like him, even though we would think he's some sort of freak, some sort of very, very sick man, and he was, but maybe you and I are a little sicker than we realize. We live in an amazing day and age. We live in an amazing culture where, honestly, we are the wealthiest, the most affluent nation that has ever lived. And it affects everything about our lives. We have so much. We have so much. But despite the fact that we have so much, we never stop wanting more. It's something that's inside most all of us. Maybe not you, but probably you. The thing is everybody you know is like this. Everybody you know is sort of uh, obsessed with this desire to consume, to buy and to have. You know it may not be Gordon Stewart, but we probably wouldn't be too surprised one day if you can't find your way out of your closet. We have so many clothes, you have so many shoes. One of these days your wife will totally disappear in some sort of pile of shoes. You'll never see her come out again. A pile of purses. One of these days, your husband will get completely lost out in his shop, piled up in a whole mound of tools. You'll never see the man again. Do you understand? We do have this tendency in us. Very, very materialistic. We like stuff. We like things. We enjoy wealth. The problem is you can't be a materialistic person and a spiritual person at the same time. They don't go together. It's two different worlds But Christ calls us to live a spiritual life, a spiritual life. In other words, what should be most important to me and most important to you are not the things we can buy or the things we can hoard in our homes. The most important things are the things you cannot see, you cannot buy, you can't put a price on. You may be more like that sick man, Gordon Stewart, than you ever, ever would realize probably also a lot more like the rich young man in this story than you realize. Honestly, this man in the scripture, he's sort of a good picture of us too. This is an idealized picture though. This man has a sickness as well, but it's the kind of sickness that actually in our society we admire. This is a different kind of portrait of us, but we're going to like this portrait a little bit better. It, It flatters us more when you think about it. Jesus encounters the rich man. In in, in some cases, in the way you were brought up in Sunday school, he was probably called what? The rich young ruler. The rich young ruler. And this is an amazing guy. You would like this guy. Notice that one of the things the scripture says, which is really interesting, Jesus really likes this guy. As a matter of fact, the scripture says that as Jesus was talking to him, he loved him. Something about this man, you just got to love him. This is a good man, a very good man. From all indications, when he speaks in the scripture, he's speaking the truth. He's a good man and he's got it all. This is an ideal guy. Listen to me, girls. You would like this guy. You'd like him. First off, he is rich. He's rich. He really is rich. That's what the scriptures say. Of everything else you can say about this guy, this is the first thing you notice, the first thing that stands out. This dude is rich. He really is rich. And in our society, we look up to and we really are impressed by rich people. I don't understand it because lots of times the rich people are total, total idiots, And yet we look up to them, we admire them, we want to live their lives. But this guy was not that kind of guy. He's a genuinely good guy who is also very rich. Now there is nothing wrong with being rich, nothing wrong at all. And I would say I'm probably looking in the faces of people who every one of us would like to have more money. We'd like to have more money. Have you ever just stopped to think how your life could be different if you had more money? I've thought about it. I love to think about that, man, to have more money. I don't play the lottery. I, I'm, a, I'm very spiritually opposed to the lottery. I'm never going to buy a ticket, but I still think, man, what if I won something like that? What if I suddenly became a millionaire? What would I do? Well, how would I live? How would my life change? You ever think like that? What if you had more money? Honestly, I want to think that if I had more money, I'd give more, and I believe I would. I honestly love to give. I love to give money away. Uh, my wife thinks I have a screw loose sometimes, and my wife is also a generous person, but I just love to give. I've just found that giving is a very joyful, pleasurable thing. I I love to give. In my life, I have heard, and I could tell you, giving stories that are absolutely beautiful, wonderful experiences in giving. Giving's a wonderful thing. One time, I, I bought a guy's, I paid a guy's rent, and he had no idea who paid his rent. And honestly, I didn't have money that month for my own rent, but I paid his rent, And I know that he was praying that God would provide for him. And when it was over, this guy was just praising God, praising God for somehow paying his rent. He had no idea that I did that. Nobody knew I did that. And I know that God used me to pay that guy's rent. And I love that. I love that moment. I I love giving stories. But I'm telling you, nobody ever has a good spending story. You know, where you spent the money on yourself, that's never a very good story. Have you noticed? Just no way to tell that story and it turned out beautiful when you just took the money and blew it on yourself. Do you understand? It's just not a good story. I'd love to hear you tell me one. Oh, Brother Tim, I can tell you a good spending story. The other day, I was up there at the Bass Pro Shop. Can you imagine the story? You go home and tell your wife the spending story from the Bass Pro Shop, honey. I was at the Bass Pro Shop. And you know how you're always telling me to get in touch with my feelings? Well, I saw this set of ping golf clubs, and the feeling was love. Yeah. Do you understand? This story doesn't work. And so, honey, I bought, the, I bought the clubs. I asked the man, how much does it cost? And he said, if you buy the clubs eh, I'll throw in a golf towel. And I said, a golf towel? Man, I love you. I, I love you. And honey, it was wonderful. I had so much money left over. I also bought an $85 rod and reel. And your wife says, honey, I'm so proud of you. Now you'll have something to do every weekend and and you'll never have to spend time with me and the kids. Do you see? These spending stories don't come out pretty. There's no point where you can say, I spent this money on myself and it was the turning point of my life. God bless me because I, I bought myself something. No. But when you give, it's a wonderful, wonderful kind of story. Always giving stories are better. Live your life in such a way where you've got some great stories to tell about giving. It would be wonderful if you had more money. You could do so much good. Think about the lives you could change if you had more money. This man has all the money in the world. He's rich. And he's young. He's young. I'm really getting used to the idea that I'm getting older. And it's sometimes a very difficult thing to get used to. Some of you know. Some of you are about to find out. It's an amazing thing to recognize that that your time is running out. We'll ordain Brother Andrew tonight in a wonderful service. I just can't wait. But it seems like yesterday that I was ordained, and I was ordained by this church. It seems like yesterday, but it was not yesterday. Let's do the math. It was 2,000 years ago when I was ordained by this church. But My goodness, I've been in ministry now something like 20 years since my ordination. It's really difficult to fathom. I think about Andrew's position and how he has all of his ministry ahead of him. And I realize from my position, I've got probably, if the Lord is willing, half of my ministry in front, but half of it behind. I can't undo some of the things I've done. I don't get another chance to go back and start things over. I've just spent it. You understand? But this man is young. He has time. He's accomplished several things that already have brought him to a very prominent place, but he's still young. He has time. Have you ever stopped to think about what you could do if you just had more time? This man has time. And the Gospel of Matthew calls him a, a ruler. This is really a puzzling and, and interesting thing. At this man's age, young as he is, as prosperous as he has become, he also has power. It's interesting. He's some sort of religious ruler. That's what the scriptures show. This man is some sort of religious leader. He has a place in in, in the community, a place in the synagogue there. And that's absolutely unbelievable. A a young man? What is it about him? He's obviously got talent or skill or something, but this is a guy who's in a position to make things happen. He's a, a man in a position of control. He is that kind of guy. Have you ever thought what your life would be like if you were in a position to get things done? None. So often in our lives, we are not the rulers, we're not the leaders We're just simply the ones who have to sit in the cubicle or stand behind the machine and do what people tell us to do But this is not that guy, this is not at, like you or, or, or like me This is a man in charge, he's a ruler, he's a leader you you ever wondered what it would be like to be the person like that in charge, the one who can make things happen This is who he is He's rich, he's young, he's a leader, and on top of all that, he's a really good guy. He's a really good guy. There's nothing in the Scripture that suggests that he's anything less than honest when he tells Jesus, I've lived that way. Those commandments that you've listed, that's how I live. That describes my life. I was raised to live that way. I was raised in a religious home. I was taught the Ten Commandments, and I've always lived that way. This is one of those few people in the world who has no secrets He has no skeletons in the closet. He has no regrets. This is just a very, very good man. He's the ideal from our society. This is, I mean, if he were alive today, we'd want to elect him president. We would want to make him pastor. We would put him over anything. This is a good guy. If you brought him home, your mother would want you to marry him on this spot. He's that kind of guy. It's amazing and interesting because this man had everything, and he's very, very drawn to Jesus, and he asks a question. He says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What must I do? do. That's interesting. Always in Scripture, don't just pick out a verse and read it. Always look at what's above it and below it. And right before this story is the story about Jesus blessing the children. And notice what, it's not going to be on the screen, but notice what Jesus says in verse 15. I tell you the truth, anyone who doesn't, the word is receive, anyone who doesn't receive the kingdom of God like a child will never enter it. When Jesus talks about the kingdom, he talks about receiving the kingdom. You receive the kingdom as a gift. You don't do anything to get it or, or earn it. But this is the first clue that there's something missing in this man's heart. For all that he has, there is something he lacks. He doesn't yet understand what the kingdom of God is like. He's thinking that it's something that can be earned or bought like everything else. What must I do, he asks Jesus. What can I do in order to earn, to inherit? eternal life. He thinks that eternal life, the kingdom of God, is like everything else in his life that's always just come to him, that he's always been able to get if he wanted it. How do I get it, he asked Jesus. Jesus says, you know the commandments, and Jesus rehearses about five or six of them. Interestingly, Jesus leaves out a few. Go back to those. Find out which ones they were. The man says, I've done all those. I've lived that way. That describes my life. It's real interesting, growing up as a Christian as I did and growing up in church, being taught to tell other people about Jesus and about salvation, we were always taught that where you start is with sin. You always start by helping people understand their sin. And I do believe that's very, very important. But every now and then in your life as an evangelist, every now and then in your life in trying to lead people to Jesus, you're going to come across somebody like this guy. This is a good guy, and very, very honestly, he doesn't struggle with guilt. He doesn't seem to have any guilt. He really thinks that he's a good guy, and if you compared him to most other people, you'd probably decide he is a good guy. But guilt is not his problem. He is not coming to Jesus struggling with his sin. He doesn't feel the weight of his sin. He is a sinner. I would say that. You know that's true. All have sinned and fallen short of God's standard. We know he's a sinner, but he's not feeling that. He doesn't feel guilty. That's not what brings him to Jesus. And I want you to understand, as you begin to share Jesus with your friends and with your family, we're coming up in a day and age where a lot of people are like this guy. Uh, There's a whole generation of kids behind me who, honestly, they don't feel guilt for much at all. They've never been raised like that. They've been raised from the very beginning. If you went out and played soccer, you got a trophy. Your kid right now has ribbons and trophies and plaques, and your kid ain't never done nothing. Hadn't done nothing. Extraordinary, just showed up. But in our day and age, you get trophies for showing up. You get your self-esteem stroked, and you get your self-image built up by everybody all the time. My son was young one day. I was trying to tell him I loved him. I said, son, I love you. You're so special to me. My son said, "Uh uh-uh, daddy. Barney says all boys and girls are special. I said, I know, son, I know what Barney says, but I'm telling you, you're special to me, Uh uh-uh, Daddy. Barney says all boys and girls are special. And I hate Barney. (laughs) Do you understand? You understand? When everybody is special, when everybody is special, then do you not recognize that nobody's special? We're trying to build our children up, but ultimately we set them up for ruin. We're setting them up for ruin. And we do have a generation now that really doesn't feel a lot of guilt. They've always been told that they were special. And we have a culture that teaches them that any choice, as long as you're sincere, you just follow your heart. And and everything's gonna turn out okay. Did you not see that... Most people around us aren't feeling guilty for much. And if you try to come at them from that approach, if you come at them as if they're guilty people who need forgiveness, they may not respond to Christ because that's not how Jesus deals with this man. Because this man doesn't feel any guilt. He really doesn't feel any guilt. He's guilty, and he's not as good as he thinks, and there are gentle places there where I see Jesus redirecting him. He comes up to the, calls Jesus a good teacher, and Jesus says, hold on just a second, there's, there's nobody good but God. I know what Jesus is doing, but I'm not sure this man gets it. I'm not sure he gets it because it's not a feeling of guilt. It's not the weight of sin that brings him to Jesus. It's something else. It's that feeling that for everything that he has, he has riches, he has youth, he has time, he has power. For all that he has, there is still this gnawing, gnawing sense in his gut that there's something missing. His life should be perfect. He has everything that the culture says a man should have. He has it all. He is absolutely an admirable good man. But in the middle of all of that, there's this horrible, horrible sickness in the gut that that in the quiet of the evening when he's laying in bed and he can't sleep, he knows that he does not have it all. There's something that is eluding him. There is something out there beyond his reach, and that's what he wants. That's what he craves. His riches will never satisfy a deeper craving in his heart. The admiration and relationships of others will never satisfy. There's something missing. And most of the people that you and I will share the gospel with in this day and age, they're going to be more like this man. They don't necessarily feel guilty. They don't necessarily come thinking that they're sinners. They are sinners. They're going to have to see that. But that's not probably what's going to send them looking for Jesus. It's going to be something more like this guy. He says, good teacher, what must I do? Jesus says, you know the commandments. man says, I know the commandments. That's how I've lived since I was young. I've always lived a good life. Jesus says, okay, maybe so. But there's one thing you lack. There's one thing you're missing. Go, sell everything you have, give it to the poor. Come follow me. Now I know what just happened in your head. When, when we read those words, when I say those words, I know what happened in your head. You got stuck on that first part. That go and sell everything part. You got stuck there. It it hung in your craw, didn't it, right there? That go and sell everything. You got stuck there. But I want you to see the very important thing that Jesus is saying. Jesus says two things there. Go sell everything you have. Give it to the poor. Then do what? Come follow me. The important thing Jesus says to this man is come follow me. That's what Jesus says to everyone that he calls to be a disciple, that he calls to be a a Christian, a follower. You must come follow me. The important thing that Jesus says to the man is come follow me. If you're going to be a Christian, you have to follow Christ. No other way about it. Now, Now, you're sitting in a Christian church. Surely you know that. And if there's nothing else you know about me, I want you to understand I'm a Christian. That means that I follow Christ. I'm not perfect i'm no more perfect than you i'm no more holier than, than any of you but i try to follow christ that means that i try to read the bible and, and live my life by his word i pray and when i pray i hear the voice of jesus speaking to me often and when jesus speaks to me i always as brother frank would say do a u-turn i, I change my life to get my life in step with what jesus says i try to follow christ And those of you in this house who also are followers of Christ, you can tell the same kind of story. The story about this man. a story about the day when when you came to Christ seeking something. In my case, it was forgiveness of my sins. I was a child with a very, very tender conscience. I was not a child into sex, drugs, and rock and roll. It's not that at all. But anything I ever did, I felt horrible for it. I do guilt better than anybody else in the whole world. And even as a child, I felt very, very guilty. If I did anything, disobeyed my parents in the smallest way, I was miserable. That's the way God has wired my heart together. I came to Christ knowing I needed forgiveness and praying for that. I don't know what brought you to Christ. Perhaps it was the the need for deliverance from your addictions or, or your habits. Maybe it was that sense of emptiness. Something is missing. I have a problem, and I know Jesus is the answer. But if you're a follower of Christ, you have come to Christ. And you have come recognizing that Christ offers what it is that you most deeply need. Everyone who is a follower of Christ has a story to tell like that. Sometimes we call it your, your testimony. It's your witness. But nobody can take that away from you. If you belong to Christ and you have come to Christ, there's that moment in your life or that season in your life when you decided to leave everything and follow him. And this is exactly what Jesus now is calling this man to do, to follow him. But the problem is there's one thing, one thing Jesus says you lack. You might look at it a different way. In this man's case, there's one thing that's standing in the way. There's one thing in the way. Jesus doesn't tell everybody who comes to him to sell everything and give it to the poor. That's not how he called his other disciples. Obviously, in Scripture, Jesus had some very wealthy disciples who didn't sell everything. That's not a condition for everybody who comes to to be a disciple who's going to follow Jesus. But it is a condition for this man because that is the one thing that's standing in his way. It is the one thing that keeps him from taking that step toward Christ. That's his thing. I wonder what your thing is. Some of you in this place, some of you in the sound of my voice this morning, you also need to take that step to follow Christ, but there's something in your way. It might be money for you. I'm not saying you're rich. I know nothing about you, but I do know one thing. If you can call this man in Scripture rich, then what in the world do you think we are? This man in his life has never sat on an indoor toilet. Do you understand? This man all of his life has probably lived on a dirt floor. Of course he's rich, but just compared to everybody around him, this man in his life had never been on Facebook or held a cell phone in his hand. Do you you see? He'd never even ridden in an automobile. If he's rich, what do you think we are? Honestly, in our culture, most of your neighbors, it really is this love of material things that keeps them from following Christ because they are not going to care about spiritual things as long as their heart, their ambitions, everything they really care about is material. Lots of us, we love our house. We love the things we can put in our house. We do love clothes, and I'm as materialistic as any of you. I confess that. We love our clothes. We love our cars. We just love money. We love having things and being in the world, and I'm telling you, that will absolutely stand in the way. If you love the material world more than you love the things of God, then you cannot be a follower of Christ. These things will always be in your way. As a teenager, as a college student, as you think about what you're going to do with your life, if you make your decision only based on material concerns, how much money will I make? How quickly can I get there? What's in it for me? If that's the way you plan your life, then I'm telling you, you're not going to be a follower of Christ. Money, material things, keeps a lot of us from following Christ. Sometimes it's just plain old pride. To come to Christ, we have to follow him. That means we have to get in line behind him and behind everybody else who's following him. And and seriously, some of us really don't follow very well. We want to be in charge. We want to be in charge of our lives. We want to make our own rules and then remake our rules as it suits us. We like to think that nobody can tell us anything, that we're smarter than everybody else, and we're just not gonna surrender control like that. That's pride, friend, and that will keep you from being a follower of Christ. It might be the one thing that keeps you right now from taking that step toward Christ, but it will certainly keep you from Christ. Your pride. Some of us it's it's relationships, it's not the money, it's, it's not the pride, it's just the, the people in our lives. I'm sure there's somebody sitting in this house or listening to my voice right now that the reason you don't follow Christ, the reason you won't take the step you know you need to make is because you're in a relationship right now that you know you'll have to give up if you're going to follow Christ. You know that that man that you're with, that, that, that woman that you're dating, you know that you cannot follow Christ and continue in relationship with this person. You know that. You know that this person is between you and Christ. You know that the pressure this person puts on you to cross your own sexual boundaries. You know the pressure this person puts on you to be a different kind of person. You know that that keeps you from Christ. And right now, that relationship is in your way. For some of us, it's just that desire for other people to like us, to be popular. We want to blend in. We don't want to be different. But Jesus says, if you're going to follow me, you're going to stand out. Most people in the world do not follow Christ. So if you follow him, you're going to stand out. You're not going to be like the other kids at school. You're not going to talk like the other people at work. You're not going to value what the rest of the world values. You're going to stand out. And when you stand out in the world, the world tends to persecute you. The world will look down on you. You will not be as popular. And if popularity is what you value, then it might be popularity right now that stands between you and Christ. But I'm telling you, whatever it is, the word is the same to the rich young man and to you. You've got to be willing to lay that thing down. Whatever it is that keeps you from taking the next step with Christ, you've got to be willing to lay that thing down and follow him. It's a price tag moment. It's a price tag moment. Can you imagine? Let's just start with your family. Can you imagine your family right now, if every member of your family took that next step toward Christ, whatever that step is, can you imagine that? Just in your family. If every family member laid down what was in the way and took that next step toward Christ, can you imagine your marriage If both husband and wife laid down everything that was in the way and took that step to follow Christ, can you imagine? Can you imagine your kids, your teenagers, can you imagine this church? If every single member of this church laid down what was standing in the way and took the step to follow Christ, can you even begin to imagine? What must I do to inherit inherit eternal life, the man asked Jesus. Jesus. This says, what the scripture say? You know the commandments? The man says, yes, I know the commandments. I've kept them all my life. Jesus says, there's one thing in the way. Lay it down. Come follow me. Price tag moment. Man walks away. Interestingly, the disciples are left and they're alarmed. They're worried. They start thinking, my goodness, if if that's the cost of following Jesus, if you've got to lay everything down, then who's going to be saved? Jesus says, indeed, it's hard. It's hard to come into the kingdom of God. If it were easy, everybody would do it. Do you understand that? If it were easy, everybody would be following him. It's hard, Jesus says, especially for rich people. And Peter says something interesting. Peter said, well, Jesus, that's what we've done We've left everything and followed you, Jesus. That's what we have done. Jesus says, I know you have. I know that's what you've done. I know that that's what you have done. You have left everything. And let me tell you something, Peter, and everyone else listening to me, Jesus says, there's not anybody in the whole world who's, who's going to follow me. They're going to lay down houses and they're going to lay down relationships. They're going to lay down some very, very important things. But I promise you this, when you lay that down and you follow me, you're going to get it all back a hundred times. You're not going to make any sacrifice for my name that you're not going to be repaid a hundred times over. And on top of that, get eternal life in the end. You're not going to give up anything. That I'm not going to somehow reward you. I'm going to overwhelm you with blessings, Jesus says, in this life and in the life to come. That's what it means to follow Christ. You may have to lay down something very, very important to you. And you may need to do that today in order to make, take that next step toward Christ. But whatever you give Jesus, what he gives you back is infinitely more valuable, infinitely more blessed. It will bless you and enrich your life forever. Jesus says, I will repay you a hundred times. You don't give up houses and relationships with that. I just pile it back on top of you and give you eternal life. Peter says, what about us? I keep thinking, what about that rich, young man? Because what does the scripture say? When he saw the price tag for the kingdom of God, when you realize what Jesus was saying in order to follow me, you've got to lay some things down. Scripture says, he went away sad. He went away sad. And it is sad, because you know what? Never in the history of the world has there ever been a man walking away from Jesus so sad. Poor. So poor. My friend, Jesus is calling you today to follow him. You're going to have to lay some things down. Whatever it is that you must lay down, I encourage you today to do that. You're not going to give to Jesus anything that he's not going to return to you so much more. Give it up. Lay it down. Come Follow him. Pray with me. Lord Jesus, some of us right now, our hearts are racing. It's a price tag moment, Lord, because truly we want everything that you offer us. We do want forgiveness for our sins. We do want somehow to find that empty place in our hearts filled up. We see, Lord, that in our lives, everything that we do, everything that we own, it does not satisfy us. Lord, we somehow can sense that the satisfaction will only come when we find ourselves following you, but there's a price. God, I pray that everyone in this house today will count the cost and be willing, Lord, to pay the price, understanding that you have paid it all. Lord, whatever we lay down is so small. It's in no way way purchasing our salvation. It's simply, Lord, what we must lay down in order to be free to follow. God, I pray that you would fall down heavy upon the hearts of those this morning who've never taken that first step to follow you, Lord. I pray that today is the day that someone will take the very first step, laying down everything, Lord, and deciding to follow you with their lives, Lord. Let someone today, Lord, make that first step. Lord, I pray for the house full of Christians here today who are still not following you, not following you closely, not following you with whole hearts. Lord, there are people in this room and the sound of my voice who have things that have come to stand between them and you, oh Lord. And I pray that today they will be so willing to lay these things down, to set them aside, to put these things away for good, that they might follow you. Lord Jesus, we call ourselves Christians, but truly many of us are not following you. May we lay it all down today. Lord Jesus, find our place behind you, following you with our lives, wherever you lead. Lord Jesus, pray that your Holy Spirit will weigh heavily upon our hearts, that you would call us forward and that we would listen and obey. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. I wanna give you a chance to respond.